Welcome to Sparrow Health Clinical Insights, where we cover the latest topics in the world of mental health and substance use disorder. We hope that this program will help you in your growth and help guide us toward achieving our mission of saving lives, instilling hope, and restoring relationships. And now, here is your host, Senior Vice President of Clinical Services, David Hayden. Hello, I'm David Hayden, your host. Welcome to another podcast of Spiro Clinical Insights. We will address the biggest questions and topics in the clinical world of mental health and substance use disorder. Today, I'm going to be talking about compassion fatigue and what many of you, our listeners and providers, are thinking about. And that leads me to our guest, Amanda Lay. Amanda, welcome back. I think this is at least your third time on the podcast, so thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So we usually talk about something personal to our podcast guests to let them really introduce themselves to our listeners. So tell us a little bit, Amanda, about why you do this. This is a hard job to do. It's not easy. There's not a lot of immediate satisfaction and patient growth. So tell us, why do you do this? I think the main reason I do it is just because I know the benefits that it has for our patients. I've seen, even in the hard times when this job it does get very hard, patients still succeed and we're able to live out that mission and save lives. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I agree. I think one of the things, Amanda's very modest. Part of the reason that a lot of our patients do succeed are people like you. And I think this topic, compassion fatigue, is very fitting for that. And to start the podcast and discussion, I want to do a little bit about some definitions and talk about compassion. The general definition of compassion is a deep feeling of sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate others' pain. And we at Spiro believe so much in this value as a personal value and a human value that we made it part of our company values. And we changed the definition just a little bit and made it into we strive to connect to the emotions and perspectives of others and commit to help relieve the suffering of our fellow human beings through kind and tangible expressions of love. So it's both empathy with action. Uh, So feeling for someone plus doing something about it. And when you do this over and over again, it is very easy to lead into compassion fatigue, which is our topic today. So Amanda, tell us a little bit about what compassion fatigue is. Yeah, so I think before we start talking about what compassion fatigue is, we need to discuss what it's not, and that is burnout. Often, compassion fatigue and burnout kind of get confused, and burnout is more related to workplace and stress within the workplace and the environment, and compassion fatigue occurs when providers or other teammates take on the suffering of patients who have experienced extreme stress or trauma. So they take on the suffering. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so one time I heard an analogy, and I thought this was really good to help me understand compassion fatigue. Basically, it said that if you're in a room with someone smoking a cigarette, you know, you still get the effects of that secondhand smoke, although you're not actually smoking the cigarette. I think that analogy really helps me understand how a provider or a teammate can receive the effects of the trauma from a patient without actually experiencing it. Yeah, and I think that's so common with this patient population because of the prevalence of trauma that Mm -hmm. they have experienced. Yeah, definitely. I mean, compassion fatigue can make it very difficult to feel empathy for our patients. You know, when you hear so much trauma day in and day out, it can be almost a defense mechanism not to feel that, that empathy for our patients. Yeah, and I think what we want to also add to that, sometimes it's not the patients talking about their trauma, 
it's their experiences of trauma that come out in the session. A lot of chaotic behavior, their anxiety, their being on edge, their lack of trusting. So it's not always that the provider is asking them questions or the counselor is asking them questions about their trauma or talking about those experiences. It's their expression of that trauma and the effect that trauma's had on them that we also feel. What's that like? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think sometimes patients may come into appointments and either, you know, be verbally aggressive with providers or they may even shut down and not engage in treatment. And a lot of times we take this as that they do not want to participate in their treatment or they're not buying in to the care, but actually this can be a response to their trauma. So I think that's a really good point when you say they may not be sharing the trauma, but they may have impacts of the trauma in their treatment. Yeah, they're displaying some of those symptoms. Mm and it's not always recognized as trauma. And I think for people in the helping profession, a lot of times it's really common that they have big hearts and want to help, and that puts them more at risk for developing compassion fatigue. And our providers and our counselors are often trained to utilize compassion and empathy in order for treatment to be effective, and so it just makes them more vulnerable to that emotional stress. And what you're talking about is that raw emotion that a lot of our patients display they're not verbalizing their trauma, but they're showing it. Right. It makes caring more difficult sometimes. So tell us what are some of the signs that people should look for if they're experiencing compassion fatigue? I think the signs can vary, but just to name a few, loss of productivity, depression, tiredness, just feelings of being on edge. Maybe that's with patients, teammates, maybe even at home. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the workplace. Let me, first one you said, loss of productivity. Sometimes what I see is that that loss of productivity is about the teams wanting to get together and talk about, Mm. this is what Johnny said, look at Johnny, Johnny's off the chain. They're more talking about the patient and their experience than really dealing with helping that patient get better or moving on to the next thing and accepting that. So what are some of the other things that you may see that people should look for? Yeah, just to kind of hit on that one too a little bit, the productivity. I think even me myself, I've been guilty of that when working in the clinics, you know, just trying to say, hey, this conversation would be more appropriate for clinical review or in a meeting that's set aside for this. I think that's a great point. Other things, I think, the emotional exhaustion, you know, that teammates can feel from compassion fatigue, just day in and day out, not recognizing these signs. You know, you might wonder, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? But a lot of times, emotional exhaustion is a direct, you know, effect from compassion fatigue. So in the morning huddle, when the team's getting together and everybody says, oh, I'm so tired, I'm exhausted, that's a pretty good sign that there may be some compassion fatigue. Yeah, definitely. That's a very good sign. One of the things that I often say to people is that dislike of the patient is a sign. And the things that the patients are doing are not personal to me or to you. Mm-hmm. But we, sometimes when we look at the schedule and we see, here's a list of patients that are coming in, and you get really excited that, oh, Johnny's coming back in. Or you may think, oh my gosh, Johnny's coming back in. Most of those patients, we think it's just they're coming in, they're on the schedule. But when we have those strong emotions that patients coming in, either good emotions or negative emotions, that can sometimes be a sign. What do you tell people to do about that? I mean, I think you can have emotions, you know, from one patient versus another, but it's very important that those emotions aren't coming out to the patient. So that when Johnny comes in, even though you may be a little less excited to see Johnny, I think a sign of compassion fatigue would be if, you know, Johnny notices that at the window when you say, hey, go ahead and sign in instead of, hey, Johnny, how's your day going? You know, a lot of times when that happens, you're taking the patient's issues personally. Yeah. And it's not really about us, right? No, it's absolutely not. Yeah. All right, so why is this important? Why are we, why are we talking about this on this podcast, and why is it important for 
our listeners and our teams to be aware of this. You know, this is important for a lot of different reasons. Main reason is compassion has a cost. So if we are feeling compassion fatigued starting at work, that affects just the relationships between teammates, patients. Outcomes won't be there because we're not performing at our best. But then even further on than that, you know, just our family. If you don't have compassion for people you work with, your teammates and patients, when you get home, you don't have compassion for your spouse or your children. It impacts all aspects of life. Yeah. You have to refuel your body to be able to have that compassion come out. And some of those relationships take from it instead of refill it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit, Amanda, about ways this comes out in the helping relationship and what people should look at for work and what should they look at there? What do they normally see? Yeah, I think one thing that we often see is a misalignment between providers, counselors, RSS, the misalignment between the goals and what the patient's goals are and what the provider's goals are for the patient. That's a great example. And one of the things I hear a lot is the provider or the counselor whoever's working with that patient really wanting more for the patient than the patient wants at that point. One of the things I've found to be true is that in order for someone to change, they have to have motivation, but they also have to have the belief that that change is possible. And we may believe that the patient can stop using all substances and that's what's causing them the issues. But sometimes the patient is at the point where they don't really want to stop using, they just want the negative consequences to go away which I think is very similar to a lot of people. If we could do things that were bad for us and not suffer any negative consequences, we would still want to do them. And I think that's a lot of times where our patients are is they don't want the negative consequences, but they don't always connect that to their use. Mm -hmm. So we often create that misalignment by thinking, oh, they're coming here because they want to stop using all these substances. They really don't. They want the negative consequences to stop. Part of what I think you're saying is that the compassion fatigue results from they're not being in agreement in what their goals are. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what goes hand in hand with that is not recognizing progress the same. So a patient may come in and they're 10 minutes late, but they showed up. And they haven't shown up in the last week for any of their appointments. And so the provider may say, hey, you're 15 minutes late. The patient may say, hey, I'm here. So that's progress in their eyes where maybe in the provider's eyes, it's not. And so I think there's that misalignment there with progress as well. Or another one I see related to that is they are looking at lab results mm. and the patient's continuing to test positive for some illicit substance that admittedly is causing them a challenge, but we don't stop and ask the patient how frequently they're using. So they maybe stopped using five days down to three days to the one day, so they're still testing positive. Mm-hmm but we're not recognizing that's a huge change for some patients. Yeah, that's a lot of progress for sure. And when we fail to recognize that can absolutely feed into our own compassion fatigue. So we feel like we're not being helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, Amanda, let's talk now about coping. Talked about how common this is and how it comes out and recognizing the signs. What do you suggest people do to cope? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to do is just to find someone to talk to. I know for me personally, in the past, any time that I've noticed compassion fatigue, it's from someone I trusted to have those honest conversations with me. Finding someone to talk to is very important. Having Um, somebody come and say, Amanda, you're not yourself, or I noticed this. Sometimes we don't notice it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then also just trying to take some self-reflection time and say, what does my life look like right now? I know sometimes both at work and home, whenever I have a shorter fuse, I probably have gotten a lot less hours of sleep that night. And so things like that I think are very important to recognize. Yeah, so being able to leave your work at work, Mm -hmm. go home, have your life, not have those interfere. And I know a lot of people create little report card 
on important parts of their life. What impact is general overall stress and compassion fatigue can fall into that, having on their spirituality, having on them emotionally, physically, and in their relationships, and really kind of scoring that in some way and watching that over time and, and being able to have interventions when it gets to a certain point. Because like a lot of us, when it gets to a certain point, something negative may happen with our relationships or with our physical health. So being able to track that over time for a lot of people is very important. What about things that you can do at work? What can our teams do in the workplace to better manage uh, compassion fatigue? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we can do is just kind of have a structure, follow our processes we have in place. A lot of our processes are put in place so we can set those boundaries. So we'll have enough time with patients. We're not running over, running ourselves on empty. So really just following spare way of care processes would be a big one, I think. Yeah, so the structure that's put in is, is used to help alleviate some of that so everything's not crammed into a certain part of the day. Or yeah, And then some things like clinical review to be able to get on the same page with patients and patients care and restart where we are can sometimes help you get other perspectives. Yeah I mean I think just one example would be let's say you have a patient that comes in late and they can't get on the schedule that day for their provider so we put them on another provider schedule. I think one of two things can happen either that provider is not going to take the time they need with that patient and they may miss something very important or they will take the time they need and that's going to cut their schedule short for the rest of the day. Yeah so they are rushing to see someone and give that patient a visit versus having that consistency Mm -hmm. so that we do recognize those small victories that you talked about earlier with patients and can celebrate them with those patients. That's great. Well, this has been great, Amanda, and thank you again for joining us on Spiral Clinical Insights. I hope you had some fun. I know we'll have you back again. I think you're the most recurring guest we've had. It's always great, so we'll definitely do that again. But before we go, how about one final piece of advice for our listeners or anybody that may be interested in learning more about compassion fatigue and coping with that? I think one last thing that I would like everyone to take away from this is compassion fatigue happens. You know, this is normal, especially in the field that we work in. So just be mindful of it, put into practice, you know, self-reflection times to sit back maybe on a weekly or at least a monthly basis and say, hey, where am I at spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally? Rate yourself on those areas. And then one of the biggest takeaways, I think, is we can't take the successes of our patients personally or the failures of our patients personally. You know, we're here to do a job and to live out our mission, yes, but in the day, the success and failures of our patients does not reflect quality of work that we are providing. That's great. Well, very well said, Amanda. So again, this is David Hayden, your host and Senior Vice President of Clinical Services. Thank you for listening, and remember to be kind, consistent, and predictable to all our patients out there we serve every single day. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Sparrow Health Clinical Insights. Join us next time as we continue to talk about topics that help guide us toward achieving our mission of saving lives, instilling hope, and restoring relationships.